Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. That's me. I'm Jim Morrow, a family doctor in North Georgia. I'm with what was Mara Family Medicine. We're now part of Village Medical and very proud to be. We have an office in Cumming, Georgia, and an office in Milton, right by Alpharetta. And we are bringing care back to health care, as we like to say. Uh, I started doing this podcast. It's been more than two years ago now, John. And and we are just rocking and rolling and having a great time doing it. And it's been a a real pleasure for me. And it's 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 been a learning experience for me, too. And so as I tell you every week, it seems like I am here in my office studio and my producer, John Ray, is in his home studio. I usually say luxurious and you laugh, but it seems to be that it's very well equipped at least. So, John, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. I'm surprised you've put up with me as long as you have. Well, we were saying before we started recording that I'm seriously thinking about changing producers. So if you are a podcast producer out there. <laughs> Call me, right? <laughs> Give me a call. I'll get right back to you. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Uh, I mentioned that it's been a little bit over two years, and it has, and it's been an awful lot of fun. We've covered an awful lot of topics, but we want to do one thing that's a little bit different. We'd like to do a podcast where we just take questions from people, which we would collect in advance. Uh, you can use your name or not. We can use your name if you want us to or not. But we'd love to have people give us questions that they would like to have answered uh, you could also leave us in the same uh, format. You could also leave us topic ideas that you might have that sound good to you. But if you'd like to do that and like to have a question included in our podcast like that, the number to call is 404-530-9691. 404-530-9691. And uh, just leave a message. And that would be great. And we really would appreciate it very much. You also can email if you'd like. The email address is toyourhealthmd at gmail.com. And so I, I hope you'll do that. Uh, if you also, like I said, if you have pod, podcast ideas and topic ideas or requests, that is something I would really welcome. Um, although, as John says, I always blow his away or turn his down when he brings them up. But that's just, that's John. So I am very excited about uh, what we're going to talk about today because it's a topic that really is not talked about enough. I don't think it could be talked about enough. It's very important. We're going to talk about suicide, suicide prevention. Uh, we're going to have a guest. We do have a guest here today from the uh, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Uh, excited about having that. You know, it, it's been in the news a lot lately. It seems like it always is, unfortunately. Uh, where you have uh, Miss America, Chesley Christ, who uh, committed suicide uh, very unexpectedly, as most of these are. Katie Meyer, the goalie for the Stanford soccer team. And then I, I saw just yesterday on Facebook a video, a, a clip off the Today Show, where a football player from Ohio State University, Harry Miller, had had thought about suicide since the age of eight. And he went to his coach a couple of years ago and told his coach that he was thinking about suicide. And, and Coach Day there at OSU got him some help, and he's still there. He's not on the team anymore as of recently, but he's decided to make his mission talking about this so that the word can get out and people can understand that there are resources that can help you. 
So if you have any loved one that might be suffering with this, if you yourself are dealing with this, I hope this podcast will provide you some some help and some information and some resources. Like I said, we're very lucky today to have Kristen Patillo with us. She is with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Kristen, welcome to the podcast. It is a pleasure to be here today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's not every week that we have a guest, and when we do have the opportunity to do it, I think it does provide a a little bit more of a a, a listenable, if you will, podcast. So I'm going to start, if I can, with asking you to tell us who is at risk of suicide. In a nutshell, anyone could be at risk for suicide. And so uh, suicide oftentimes is when uh, multiple factors, stress factors, compound and put someone into a temporary space where they cannot see beyond that very moment. And oftentimes there is uh, an underlying, maybe diagnosed or maybe not diagnosed mental illness. And then it's other life stressors, whether it's financial problems, it's marital problems, it's bullying at school, it's uh, what sexuality, it's um, not feeling like you're connected to community. So anytime you get those compounding factors and they stack, someone can be in a space where they cannot see beyond that very moment and they come to the conclusion that that's the only way. I think you're right. I think it includes every single living person uh, there, but for the grace of God, you know, if, as you hear people say. So do you, can can you give us an idea of what sort of things people might look for that might be warning signs of a pending suicide? Sure. It is, um, you might see where there's a, an utter change in mood, where someone is very sad and there seem to be in a darker period, and then suddenly you'll see a shift and in uh, their language and their behavior, and they may be uh, disassociating and like giving away their belongings, or um, they've gone from sad to very happy. And oftentimes, this will mean that they have come to a, their peaceful conclusion that they're no longer going to suffer, and they've come to terms and they've made a plan. So that is typically what those behaviors look like is disassociation, uh, disassociating from uh, friends, family, their belongings, and then some settling in with peace and joy. Yeah, you do certainly hear stories like that. And, and uh, it's always, I'm certain, after the fact that you realize what it was that you were seeing. And so hopefully knowing that people might be able to recognize that earlier and, and get someone the help that they need. Now, if, if I'm talking about the American foundation for suicide prevention, it seems to have a, a large mission. Uh, can you tell us about that and how they're bringing that, uh, to be? Sure. So we, um, have 50 chapters across the United States and we were formed in 1987 and our mission is to save lives and bring hope to those that are affected by suicide. And we activate that mission in a few ways. And so the first being scientific research. And specifically right now, we're looking at research in pockets of diversity and 
uh, health and mental health disparities and, and inequities and how whether they can access mental health treatment or not and what those correlations may mean. And another area of focus for us is around uh, dealing with survivors of suicide loss and helping to understand the impact of that loss, its after effects, and how do we help that population of people with, through the process of healing. And so just uh, in 2020 alone, uh, AFSP funded $6.4 million in research. And so we are quite a large funder of that. And then the second space that we focus in is around prevention education. And so we offer a number of different educational programs that are geared all the way from like school age kids, um, you know, K through 12 into college as well, and then educators. And we want to help people to understand what the signs and symptoms are and how, how to identify them and what action to take to reach out and, and get that conversation going. So we have uh, programs through, you know, middle and high school and college, as well as corporate settings and senior settings. And then our third area of focus is around policy and advocacy. And we do that from a national level as well as a state level. And a lot of that activity is done through volunteers that are impassioned and have connection to cause. And they help us to really expand our reach and lift the their voices and their pockets of community to reach legislators around the need. And then the last thing that we do uh, to support the miss mission is around survivor support. And so we have a national network of staff and volunteers. Uh, they are largely lost survivors and we work with them and through them uh, to connect with uh, like loss survivors and help to put them back together in a space of hope and a new way forward. Wow. That's an, that's an impressive mission. And you have, uh, locations or, or, uh, institutions in every state. We have at least one chapter in every state. Yes. Chapter is the word I was searching for. Thank you. <laughs> chapter in every state that's that's i think very impressive too and of course the need is ongoing and it's constant and i doubt anyone has not been touched by this in looking at your uh, website and learning a little bit about it tell me about the big bold goal the big bold goal so this is called project 2025 it is a national initiative and it is all centered around decreasing the rate of suicide in the united states by 20 percent by 2025. And so looking at what we're seeing in suicide trends, there are a few key areas of focus. And so the first being around firearms. So we know that 51% of suicide losses are due to firearms. And so our aim there is to uh, educate and empower gun shops and ranges and gun owners around the warning signs. And oftentimes it's not about like take, taking away all the guns. It is about sometimes temporary, temporarily removing the means because we know if we can put time and distance between someone in crisis and their gun, then we can save a lot more lives. So that's the first facet. The second is around working in the correction systems because there's quite a high rate of incarcerated people who die by suicide in the correction systems. And then the last facet, and it's sort of two-pronged, is around primary healthcare systems and emergency rooms, because individuals are presenting in their primary doctor's office or an emergency room in crisis. 
And so if we can empower these medical providers to understand what the warning signs are and to be reaching into database and, and understanding if they've been in these spaces before, we can get everyone talking together and talk around prevention rather than sitting in loss. So that is Project 2025. That That's impressive. I, I think as a primary care doctor, one of the things that I see uh, all too often is the lack of availability of therapists or psychiatrists, either one, to help these people in a timely fashion. I mean, they're out there, but e- either can't be seen in a timely fashion or they're not on that person's insurance plan. If they are available in a timely fashion, and so it's expensive and so forth. And I don't think, in my experience at least, I don't think anything visible has been done to make that any better in the time that I've been practicing. I haven't seen a change at all, really. You have just hit it right on the head. And so um, a large focus of what we do as an organization, both national and, and individual states as well as around policy and advocacy. And so currently we are working right here in Georgia right now on House Bill 1013, And this is around Mental Health Parity Act. And it was lifted up by Speaker of the Georgia House of Representatives, David Ralston. And this bill is all about mental health and uh, treating mental health like any other medical condition. And the intention is that it will radically transform Georgia's healthcare system by providing more and better, better mental health care and bringing transparency and accountability to mental health coverage decisions uh, making it safe to talk with your employer in your employer spaces and uh, greater accessibility to mental, mental health care for all of Georgians and their families. And so um, it, this bill has passed the House already and uh, is sitting with the Senate. And if passed, it can mean many millions of dollars more to be utilized for mental health care. So we are very encouraged by the support that it is realizing right now. We should know something more in the coming weeks. I did know that was trying to get pushed through, and I, I didn't know it had already passed the House. That's wonderful. Uh, the The outcome of that could be uh, impactful to just so many families, just so many families. So if if you're thinking about the foundation and what they're doing in Georgia, what what sort of programs and events do you have? ongoing right now before a bill like that passes or other things change? What kind of things are you doing right now? So around the advocacy efforts themselves, we have a a committee of volunteers that work, uh, you know, round the clock and year round around specific initiatives. And so I've had select board members that have been down at the Capitol uh, once a week or better um, w- literally working on crafting that legislation. And then we rally all of what we call our field advocates to uh, reach to each of their um, representative and legislator around the bill and the importance of the bill. And really the, the, the hinge point there is if you have personal connection to be able to convey that, um, and it will really resonate then with what individual journeys have been around lack of access to care or loss or uh, success stories around having been through this or been in a danger zone and received medical care, you know, and mental health access 
and are now living and thriving. And so being able to connect and tell the stories and, and make a lot of noise there to uh, allow it to really resonate is the important thing. Okay. I'd, I'd like, thank you so much. And I'd, I'd like to talk some now about specific instances related to people who are in danger. Uh, for, for example, if you're talking to someone about suicide, does, does asking the question put the idea in their head? It definitely does not. Um, we have a set of curriculum, one of which the program is called Talk Saves Lives, and we conduct this uh, educational program in many spaces um, to allow people to understand what the signs and symptoms are and how to safely identify and then lean in and have that conversation with the person that you're concerned about. This is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a change in your mood or your behavior. Um, and I'm worried about you. Are you okay? Are you considering hurting yourself? And oftentimes the recipient of that question is so relieved and grateful that they've been noticed and they will like just oftentimes lean in and open up and it just changes the face of everything that could have been. So our and motto really is talk saves lives. Is what again? Talk saves lives. Excellent. And do you find certain groups of people have higher rates of suicide? Yes. And so um, here in Georgia, the suicide rate is uh, it's the 10th leading cause of death here in Georgia. And then second leading cause of death of uh, children ages 10 and then through adults age 34. And that's second only to accidents like vehicular accidents and things of that nature. And then the rates uh, for men, 50 plus are on the higher end as well. And that's oftentimes attributed to the fact that men uh, are less receptive to asking for help for, for being vulnerable and leaning in. I know sometimes people will will talk about suicide or to use the word threaten suicide in order to get attention, can you tell me what it is about that or how and hearing that someone might be able to, to help that person and to get them in touch with a resource? Uh, my response to that would be that sometimes they are, are not in a great place and, and they are having a cry for help. And so, yes, we would definitely always want to lead with resources. And so, um, some resources that I always like to share and, and I recommend that people put into their phone are the crisis text line. And so this is a really passive, private way to engage in a conversation if you personally are not in a good place or you know someone that isn't. And so it's the crisis text line and you simply text 741741 and you put the word talk in there. And it, these are trained counselors that confidentially will get into a text conversation with you and help you to hopefully bridge to that space where you're, you're not in that same headspace anymore. And this is so special because in this era, especially our younger folks, they don't want to talk and they don't want to, you know, be known for what is what it is they want to say. 
But if they can do this anonymously, then they feel safer to do it. So I recommend everyone uh, program that into their phone. I plug it in on social media all the time when I am sensing someone is not in a good place. And then the other resource is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And this is a 24-hour staffed uh, uh, crisis line, and they're all trained crisis counselors. And so if it's yourself that you're not in a great place or you know someone else who isn't, um, this is a great resource as well, and it's 1-800-273-8255. Super. That's great to know. So if I am in crisis, if I'm considering suicide as an individual, what's the the smart thing for me to, to try to do to, to keep this from, from coming to fruition? That's a great question. And so if you are at that literal breaking point, 911 is is your safest bet in that moment. If you are like in a dark place, but maybe it's not that very moment, it's leaning in and having conversation that you feel comfortable to do so. The importance is on the other side for for the person who would want to support someone who is in that danger zone is very much all about being able to identify what those warning signs are and putting time between where they are, the means, and just getting them through. And so if it's a conversation, if it's removing the means, um, and letting them know that this is just temporary. Oftentimes we can save a life being in that space, having that conversation and and just putting some time between that moment of crisis and, and getting through. And, And what about adolescents and teenagers? We have seen here in our practice, uh, in the just recent past, more than a couple of instances where a teenager or young adolescent was really in a dark place, as you put it. And I'd love to know how you would handle something like that. If it's not a situation where you want to call 911, but, but what's the best way to to handle a situation like that? I think certainly consultation with the parents, um, asking the questions Um, connecting with a mental health provider, if the resources are available, is always a great idea. Um, And then, you know, making sure that they know that they're in a safe space to have the conversation with you and, and reassuring that whatever it is they're facing is temporary. And, and unfortunately, we are seeing a lot more of that, whether it's through social media, which can be a blessing and a curse, like social media in some ways, like you'll see the bullying and things, The social media, especially during COVID has also been quite a blessing for people who are marginalized and feel isolated and they don't connect with the people that they live among. And maybe they're like in rural Georgia somewhere, and maybe they don't identify as straight and there isn't anyone that's like them, but in the social media space, they can find someone that they can identify with in a positive way. And that really is their bridge to future state. 
So uh, social media can be a blessing and it can be a curse, um, but it's a, it can be a safe space to plug in too. So um, the other piece of that is that um, we really try to work with the educators to understand what the signs and symptoms are, because just as they would present maybe in a medical office with challenges or exhibit signs or symptoms, they are also likely demonstrating whether they're withdrawn or sad or angry or whatever it is in school. So helping those um, administrators and teachers to understand what those signs and symptoms are and, and where is the line and what can be done to be able to reach out on behalf of these kids. I think mentioning school is very important. I, I think so many times things that happen at school, parents are not aware of because you've got two parents that are working and they're not as involved as they might be if one didn't have to work and may not be as aware of what's happening at school. So I think being a, uh, very much in touch with teachers and counselors and that kind of thing in the school is always a good idea. And certainly in this situation, it would, would pay huge dividends. No question about that. So let me ask you, if there's something else, is there anything else that I have not asked you that you'd like people to know about suicide and suicide prevention? Uh, I will say that it should be noted that it is a mental health condition and with proper diagnosis and intervention, it can be prevented. Uh, if you are sensing that something is off, that you should always trust your gut. You should tell the person you're worried about them. You should always assume you're the only person that maybe sees this and maybe the only person that will ask the question. And rather always, I ask the question and somebody's miffed that I've asked it and maybe I'm off the mark, but they're still around rather than me sitting in a space where I didn't ask and the outcome differs and someone dies by suicide and I'm left having wished I asked the question. So uh, we will always say, again, talk saves lives, ask the question. I think that's great. That's a, gr a great saying. I like that very much. You know, do something. Don't don't just sit on it. I think that's important to do because, like you pointed out, you don't get another opportunity. You might not get another opportunity to intervene. So that's very important. Before we get to questions that John might have for us, could you tell me how someone might get in touch with uh, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention? Sure. And so from a national level, someone could reach out to AFSP.org and, and then kind of drill down from there to a specific geographic location. And so for us here in Georgia, it would be AFSP.org forward slash Georgia. And within that, uh, we have lots of need around volunteers. We are literally a staff of two people here in Georgia, and we're trying to meet the need of an entire state. And so that is everything from uh, learning our programs and, and delivering the programs on our behalf uh, to helping on committees or at a board level or working with sponsorship, um, helping us reach into corporate spaces around prevention education programs, lots of opportunity. Um, at the table, so to speak, to become involved or to seek for resources around prevention education or looking also at the um, survivor loss side of the house, too. We want to be of service to those folks who have known loss and get them connected with peers in their area and to find a, a way forward. 
Okay. I, I do think having two staff members, members for the whole state of Georgia really highlights one of the big problems, which is obviously resources. Uh, and I, I thank you very much for what you and the entire foundation are doing. It's such incredibly important work. And I do appreciate very much you taking the time to, to be with me today and to talk about this and hopefully shine some light on it for someone who desperately needs it. Uh, John Ray, you got any questions that have come in that I might be able to help with? Yeah. Um, here's a question on the, uh, Kristen, you mentioned the Healthcare Parity Act, I think is the name of the bill that's uh, winding its way through the Georgia legislature. What specifically will that passage of that bill do to help in the in in this case? If it lands as written, it will uh, make way for access to many millions more dollars um, to be allocated. Uh, looking specifically, largely around the spaces where we have Georgians that are utilizing you know, peach care, Medicare, Medicaid, and are not afforded access to mental health care as you would a regular physician. And so those monies right now, if not being spent in quote unquote, regular medical care are going back to insurance company rather than being put into play uh, and utilized to create a whole and well uh, residential base of Georgians. Uh, got it. Thank you. Let's uh, the a question about those who are uh, survivors. I guess you might say loved ones and friends of someone who has committed suicide. Um, what what are maybe talk to those folks and the pain that they're suffering, and I I would imagine stigma as well sometimes too. We do see that. And, um, you know, this is a a club, so to speak, that no one ever saw themselves in and no one ever wanted to be in. Um, We operate from a place of coming, bringing together all of these broken folks in in a safe space where they know that they are among people that in some way connect to the journey that they have had. And we do it through um, healing programs. And so uh, we do an International Survivors of Suicide Loss Day. And that is uh, the weekend before Thanksgiving every year. And it's a there's a candlelight vigil and they'll um, bring in a panel and uh, talk about experience and try to get people prepared to step into the holidays where they're facing, you know, this space where likely it's someone who might've had a loss earlier that year. And so they're coming into that holiday calendar with something new and there is a glaring void there. And so we try to, to build a peer support system. And so that's one of the things that we do. Um, But also there are things like our campus and community walks that are centered around like literally every person there has been touched by suicide, whether they are, have suicidal ideation and have made attempts in the past, or they are are lost survivors and lost a a child or a parent or a friend or a loved one. Uh, They are all there with that same connectivity and you come together and it's safe and there's acknowledgement of the loss. And then it's a, 
a space just filled with love and support and you know it's going to be okay and it's never going to be what it was, but there is a way forward and it's, it's, it's broken and it's beautiful and um, lifelong friendships that are, that are made out of this. For those of us who support those survivors, those, those, that family and friends, you know, we, we want to be helpful. We want to say the right thing. Sometimes we are scared to say the wrong thing and we don't say anything. Um, what should we say? Uh, what, what should we say to, to support? Sure. I'll give you a couple of things. And so the first is that we, as a whole at American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, we try to use the language of died by suicide rather than committed. Um, committed mm. has a like a criminal sort of tone to it. So mm. we try to educate around that. That's the first thing it really kind of softens. It doesn't change the face of what has happened, but it softens um, it's like the punch to the gut, so to speak. And uh, I have learned in talking with a lot of parents who have lost children that they like to talk about the child that they've lost and they want to talk about like all the joy they had leading up to rather than now he's gone or she's gone. Mm-hmm. Like let's talk about John or Kyle or Adam or Mary or what was she like? What was she into? Like, what was she a rambunctious child? They don't prefer to focus on the after and the glaring hole of them not being there anymore because there was a lot of highlight before them. And so don't be afraid to lean in and have conversation in that space because that's what they have left to hold on to. Great words. Thank you so much. Uh, And I want to echo what Dr. Morrow said. Thank you so much for your work and for being here. It is a privilege to, to serve. Um, These are wonderful individuals that I get to meet and talk with and, and come to understand every day. And the needs are great. And uh, there's a lot of opportunity in the space of prevention as well. And, you know, we we roll up our sleeves with the hope that we can save one life at a time. And just so grateful that I could be here today and, and shine some light on what is such a glaring need. And so thank you for, for having me. Well, Kristen, I really appreciate you being here. I want to thank you. I want to thank the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention for what they're doing I also want to remind people that there are two ways that Kristen said you could get in touch with pretty immediate help should you need it. There's the crisis text line. If you text TALK to 741-741, they'll get back to you and you can have a chat conversation with them. Or you can actually call the 24-hour suicide prevention hotline at 800-273-8255. So thank you again, Kristen, for being here. Uh, Anyone who's dealing with this, please do something. Ask the question. Talk to people. Find a resource. Call your family physician. Call 911 if you need to. Do anything and everything that you have to to get this brought to light in your situation and in your loved one's situation. And, John, that's what I have for suicide prevention on To Your Health. Well, this was really important topic and I'm really, again, we're grateful to Kristen for coming on and the work that her organization does. And thank you, Dr. Morrow for wanting to highlight this topic. 
Absolutely. So for now, that's to your health.